what do you class consciousness as? You know, after all the research and, you know, over, you know, a couple of hundred years, I mean, the nature of consciousness still remains elusive. There's not one person, scientist, medical doctor, you know, researcher that can define it. We still, you know, now most people in the mainstream will tell you that consciousness is absolutely generated by the brain and electrochemical processes take place and synapses, you know, fire. And that's what produces the experience that we have. Although it doesn't explain the subjective experiences, you know, that we have. I mean, how did these electrical chemical processes result in emotions like love? Welcome to the Prime Life Project podcast, a place to help you unlock your full potential, both mentally and physically, to become the best version of you. Welcome back to another episode of the Promina Project Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel James. And if you're new to the podcast, welcome. Uh, again, if you're a regular listener, welcome back. Um, again, if you take any value from today's episode, please don't forget to like and share it with a friend. And again, if you could leave us a five-star review uh, on Apple Podcast uh, and now on um, Spotify, actually, there's a little five-star rating thing. That'd be absolutely incredible to help us uh, spread the word, help as many people as possible. Now, today's episode, I've got one thing that I'd like to ask from you guys. Now, don't ever ask anything from you, but on today's episode... I want you to approach it with an open mind. Like I've got a fantastic guest today, but as soon as we start talking, uh, just please just have an open mind and just hear the guy talk. Because again, it's something that I think can help some people. Now, some people are going to completely uh, poo-poo it, which is absolutely fine. Uh, but for some people, I think it genuinely could really help them uh, if they are open to it. So my guest today is Bob Ginsberg, and he started researching the evidence of the survival for the survival of consciousness soon after his daughter's death in 2002. He was devastated by the loss, and he needed science to tell him if she still existed in some form. In 2004, Bob and his late wife, Fran, founded Forever Family Foundation, a global not-for-profit that educates the public around evidence that we are more than our physical bodies. Bob hosts the Signs of Life radio show uh, and has passed uh, sorry, and has been past editor of Signs of Life magazine. He heads the foundation of Medium Evaluation Certificate Certification Program and writes blogs at beyondthefivesenses.com. Also, Bob, Fran, and Forever Family Foundation are currently featured on the Netflix documentary series Surviving Death. So again, uh, I've been binge watching that to do my research into Bob. Uh, so again, I strongly recommend you go and check that out after the podcast as well. So again, without further ado, welcome to the podcast, Bob. Thank you, Daniel. It's my pleasure to be with you today. Uh, obviously, the topics that we're going to talk about today uh, is going to be a topic that most people are very, very skeptical about. Now, I've done some extensive research into you, uh, and I'm really looking forward to go down this rabbit hole because the sort of um, the position that you take is from the position of looking out for the people to actually go and see mediums, which I think is absolutely brilliant. Like you almost like try and make sure that they're uh, protected and not taken advantage of while they're potentially going through a uh, very uh, traumatic, potentially um, uh, emotion-driven time. So before we get into your work, can you just take me back to where this journey all started for you? Because I know that you started out as a skeptic. So can you take my audience back to Skeptic Bob and then how you transitioned into the position that you are now? Yeah, you know, uh, going back prior to 2002, when I reflect back, um, I was a skeptic, as you said, but I was an open-minded skeptic. I, I just didn't, you know, I was a kind of a left-brain logical thinker, and people talked about surviving death, and I'm saying, well, you know, this is just a crock, you know, because 
what could possibly survive? I mean, you're phys- we are our physical bodies. We are our brains. Our brains die. We're no more. That's the end of it. You know, get the most out of life and move on. Um, and then, uh, you know, on the morning of, of September 1st, 2002, uh, my wife, you know, she shot up in bed. She was sitting up and she was trembling. She was visibly shaken and quivering. And I said, what, what's the matter? And she said, something horrible is going to happen today. And I said, well, you know, what does that mean? Can you tell me more? And she said, I, I can't tell you exactly, but I just know we're going to be devastated today. You know, so even though I didn't so, you know, I didn't believe in any of this so-called stuff, you know, I, I said, or intuition or telepathy or precognition or whatever you want to call it. I took it seriously and we had three children and I watched over them Two, one was getting ready to go back to college the next day. My middle uh, daughter was already started um, her college career. And my youngest one was working one last day in a part-time job. She was 15. And um, over the, I mean, to make a long story short, at the end of the day, I let my guard down, you know, her premonition, you know, faded from my awareness. And we were all out together in a restaurant with two cars uh, my son and my daughter uh, left first to catch up on some packing and schoolwork. And we, my wife, Fran, and I followed and we came across, um, there's only one road in to where we live. And we came across uh, an accident. Uh, my son and my daughter were in a terrible crash and my daughter didn't survive her injuries. And my son had very significant, you know, brain injuries. And not soon, you know, I guess it was about a month later when it became clear that my son was going to recover from his injuries. It dawned on me, I remembered back to, to that morning because, it would, you know, I was in shock for a month. And I said, wait a second. I said, how did Fran know? Because she knew. It was obvious that she knew. Um, and then I became obsessed with finding out how she knew and not only how she knew, but if it was possible that my daughter still existed in some form. Mm. And that led me on a journey where I literally crossed the United States uh, meeting with scientists and medical doctors and researchers, researchers that studied consciousness. And I found out that the evidence, although widely unknown, was significant and kind of overwhelming. And one thing led to another. And I've spent the past 20 years um learning and educating the public about all these different, you know, phenomena, one of which you already mentioned, which is mediumship. So this is one thing that I was fascinated about this. So um, I don't think I know the answer to this. Um, Was Fran able to um, have these experiences regularly? Was this just like a one-off out of the blue thing where she was like, something bad's going to happen today? Like, is this something she'd mentioned before and you kind of brushed it off? Or was this the first and only time and then it happened to come true? Like, what was the thing behind that? Yeah, that's a reasonable question. Um, the reason that I did take it seriously was that Fran um, was pretty intuitive and we had spent, you know, decades together and in our lives together, there were other times where she mentioned things were going to happen um, and they all played out exactly the way she described it, but they were all good things. Hmm. But, you know, logical thinking told me if she was right, then she could be right now. Hmm. And that's why I did take it seriously. Because mm. I, I know, like, obviously, on the Netflix documentary that I mentioned uh, in the intro, uh, Surviving Death, um, it talks about you really going to a dark place uh, after, after your daughter's death. Like, it really sort of hit you quite hard. How long did it take you to go through that grieving process initially? Because, obviously, um, 
I, I know in, in, and this is where we spoke about this off air. It annoyed me in the Netflix documentary that they didn't mention about Fran having this thing at the start because it, you, you mentioned in the documentary that you were blaming yourself. But obviously, people wouldn't have understood why you were blaming yourself. But clearly, hearing that story then, and then you basically said you let your guard down. How right. was that for you? Because it's like, obviously, there's nothing that you could have done. And I, I, I'm assuming that you know that now. But what was that process like for you? Well, it was torturous. Torturous. I mean, there was one point to show you how kind of sick I am is that I literally wrote down on a piece of paper 50 decisions that I could have made that day that would have changed the course of events. I mean, it was, you know, because I, yeah, the guilt is overwhelming, you know, because why did I let them, you know, why did I let my son drive that sports car? Why didn't, you know, I take it more seriously? Why didn't, you know, even to the point where if I, if I would have gotten up from the restaurant 10 seconds early, I could have changed the course of events. So these things uh, are, are crazy. And, you know, it, I don't necessarily like um, or even understand why when people say it's a grief process. I mean, I'm guilty of it myself. I, I say that. But, you know, it's not a linear thing. You know, you read about like the different stages of grief and you go from this to that. But most of that I don't think is true. I think that all of the uh, emotions uh, can hit you all at once and not, not in any linear fashion. So, um, you know, an answer to how long uh, – even after I started the foundation with my wife, uh, Fran, I, I, um, I still wasn't convinced. I mean, it, it, I didn't, and I tell people today, um, although we may help a great number of people today through our, our information, I didn't, you know, start the foundation to help people. I started it to figure out a way that I was going to survive because I was in, in a really bad place. And this, I found it personally helpful in learning. The more I learned, you know, the better that I felt. And it probably took about seven or eight years um, for me to move to the point where I knew this um, uh, all to be true that, you know, that we go to, to a different place based upon the evidence, the evidence became so overwhelming that I relented and I said, okay, you know, the, you know, I threw myself into it, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's a long, long, um, you know, journey when you go through grief and even knowing about all this stuff, um, you know, sometimes even today, you know, my wife passed away um, in 2020 and people say to me, well, Bob, you know, I guess with all that, you know, and all the talks that you give and all that you've learned and the experiences that you've had, it must be a little bit easier for you than for most people. And that's not really true because no matter what, you know, we're still human. We still have the emotions. I still don't have her um, in the physical. It's a different kind of, of relationship and connection. So um, I think it's helpful if you can come to believe in life after death, and when I say believe, it's really a knowing more than than, than a belief um, that will allow you to dig out. You know, when you reach the, you know, you fall into those deep chasms of despair. You could you could kind of go through the motions of what you've know, known and what you've learned, what you've experienced, and you can you know resume you know your, your radio life. And when you fall back, you you pick yourself up again. So I think that's the difference. So how do you go from believing to knowing then? Because that's something you said there. Like, so you, you, people believe in this stuff. So, so most people don't. Most people are very skeptical. Uh, like you said, you were. You're very skeptical. You spent yeah. years and years and years 
convincing yourself uh, into knowing. So let's say for the general population that you sort of work with, I know that most of them when they come to a foundation are very open to it, but let's say for the general population, what does the stages, what the stages looking like from going from a non-believer to a believer to knowing, like how can people transition if that makes sense from these stages? Yeah. You know, uh, you're right. If I give a, a talk to um, members of the foundation, I'm kind of like preaching to the choir. So it's not yeah. a, it's not a good sample. But if I'll give a, a general talk to the general population, I will generally start off by asking how many people by a show of hands um, believe that there's an afterlife. And I usually get anywhere from 75 to 85% of the people raise their hands. But what I think when I ask if they believe in an afterlife, what they're really saying is that they hope there's an afterlife. And mm. sometimes that's all faith-based, not evidence-based. You know, they, they're told that there's this other place we go to. They've never seen any direct evidence. So they say that they believe in it. A belief, I think, it, the hope trans- transitions into belief when they start learning about some of the things that we talk about, or they have some sort of a personal experience, um, maybe an after-death communication that they can't explain. And eventually, if you're really lucky and you have some really significant experiences, and that could be in the form of a, a really evidential mediumship session or or a near-death experience or, or some profound uh, after-death communication, that belief uh, morphs into, into something more concrete, which I would classify as a knowing. There's no doubt. The doubt is removed. The fear is removed. And so uh, that's what I, I think there's a progression there. I love that. Like I said, uh, before we go down the rabbit hole of the misconceptions and mediums, and like I said, that's where I really want to sort of go down with this because as we sort of alluded to uh again liberal affair that most people are extremely vulnerable uh, when they go to see mediums and they're, they're wanting answers so i really want to make sure that we we're if people are interested in going to see mediums and stuff like that that they're protected um but before we go down that rabbit hole can i just ask you because you mentioned about consciousness uh and again you you seeking out about consciousness so in the position that you are now after years of doing this can i just ask you what is your definition of consciousness like what do you class consciousness as you know, after all the research and, you know, over, you know, a couple of hundred years, I mean, the nature of consciousness still remains elusive. There's not one person, scientist, medical doctor, you know, researcher that can define it. We still, you know, now most people in the mainstream will tell you that consciousness is absolutely generated by the brain and electrochemical processes take place and synapses, you know, fire, and that's what produces the experience that we have. Although it doesn't explain the subjective experiences, you know, that we have. I mean, how did these electrical chem- chemical processes result in emotions like love or the appreciation for music, you know? Uh, so it's pretty, um, uh, you, you know, when we talk about consciousness, sometimes I can use the terms um, uh, at this you know, to define the same thing, soul, consciousness, or mind. You know, in my view, they're all the same. The key is, can your consciousness act independently of your physical brain? You know, and the evidence that, you know, s- shows that we can. I mean, look at near-death experiences. They meet every definition of death. They have no brain waves, you know, that there's flat, you know, EEGs, and yet they describe these uh, clear and lucid thinking, you know, so, uh, and, and you know, other phenomena such as um, remote viewing or telepathy, where, where you can pick up information from a distant source. How could you do that if you, your brain, your physical brain is in one 
part of the of the world and and you know you're you're seeing things or getting information from somebody that's across the globe you know so i think that the implication is uh of a shared consciousness or a shared mind uh is that we're all connected uh in some way ways that we can't really understand mm. that's one thing that i fully believe in i think we've done a little bit of a podcast on this before and this is why i wanted to have you on because this is something that uh again i'm not an expert in but all the reading that i'm doing about law of attraction all this sort of stuff is very very clear to me that there is a universal energy very 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 clear to me and again when it comes to vibrational energies and all that sort of stuff like so that's why i want to go down this rabbit hole and talk to you about this because having done some research into you looked at the netflix documentary i can see how this all works but you have to agree on the fundamental principle of this universal energy which some people don't but again if you can agree with that and again we did a podcast on the marianne so go and check that out um I, I fully believe this whole thing of consciousness. And again, like I'm, I'm glad you want to clear that, con- that thing about consciousness before we move forward. So when it comes to mediums, there is a big misconception about mediums. Uh, and you've said before that uh, 85% plus of them can't do what they claim to do. Uh, and I think I've heard you say before that you can potentially on me do a reading and make it seem like you know about me. Is there any way you could sort of show me a bit about that? Like, is that something that you could do for me on air? Well, you know, a lot of mediums um, that are either fraudulent or maybe just inexperienced, I mean, they'll use uh, cold reading techniques. So, I mean, let's turn it around. Let's say you're the medium, Daniel, you know, and, and you're reading me. Yeah. So um, you could say to me things like, uh, do you have a great grandmother in spirit? Well, <laughs> yeah, you know, she'd be 120. So, uh, Or you could listen to the way I speak and, and, and um, if you're good with voices, tell that I'm maybe brought up in, in, in New York, you know, cause I have a, like a Brooklyn accent, you know, and, and talk about that, or, or you could, uh, you know, you, so you can make some assumptions by my name about my ethnicity and, and, and you feed off of these things. So I can, you know, you can give somebody general information. And I think, as you mentioned at the top of the show, people that are, um, in grief, you know, want to desperately believe and they'll latch on and make anything fit. And the mediums know that. Um, so they'll, they'll repeat, if they get a, a hit, they'll repeat that, that same hit maybe four or five times to give the perception uh, that they are, um, that, that, you know, that they're really um, giving a lot of evidence. You know, we live in an age, 100 years ago, this wasn't possible, but today, especially um, with the um, with the pandemic, I mean, mediums are not doing in-person readings right now. They're doing everything on Zoom. You know what happens in Zoom? Um, you have the person's full name generally, you know, when they register. So we, we've caught mediums that they're doing a Zoom reading. And on the left side of their screen, they have the Zoom open. And on the right side of their screen, they have the person's Facebook page open. And they're literally just spitting back all the information that they see on the person's Facebook page. And the sitter, the person getting the reading is, wow, this medium is unbelievable. But yet it's totally fraudulent. So um, there's a difference. Not Mediums are not all the same. There's different, I mean, I'll call them skill levels, you know, whatever. But there are different abilities. Um, some mediums um, can, you know, the majority, as you mentioned, you know, I said 85 to 90% can't do what they claim. That didn't make me very popular in the mediumship community, <laughs> but that's based upon my experience. We've been conducting a, a medium certification evaluation program 
Uh, a lot of leading scientists that study mediumship helped me devise it. And what I found since 2005 is exactly that. 85 to 90% of the mediums who go through the certification process don't gain certification, which means only 10 to 15% do. So we, you know. So, so can, can, you, can you talk about that? Can you talk about that process then? So what, what's the difference? What, again, I've heard you talk about this on, on, uh, on another podcast episode. Like, what is this process potentially that these mediums go through? Because I think fundamentally people want to know how the mediums actually work. Like, like, so what are you looking out for uh, and how do they work and what can they actually do? Because a lot of them claim to do things, but how do they work and what can they actually do? Well, you know, mediumship is, is in essence a telepathic process. I mean, it's mind-to-mind communication, except that one of the parties involved, the person in the spirit realm doesn't have a body, but they still have a mind. So in that sense, it's still a, a psychic endeavor, but there's a difference between psychic information and mediumistic information. And even a lot of mediums don't understand this. There are a lot of people that have the uh, great ability to communicate mind to mind with the living. They could look at you and say, Daniel, I see you just painted your bedroom blue and, and you did. And you're like, wow, holy shit, right? This is unbelievable. But um, it doesn't do anything in telling you that we survive our physical deaths. You know, that's just, you know, telepathy. So uh, bearing that in mind, one of the problems that we have is, is, is separating the two. So, I mean, I tell our sitters when they're scoring information, unless the information is tied to a discarded entity, somebody in, in, uh, that's deceased, uh, they can't really score it as a hit, you know, but if I'm giving you, um, uh, a lot of information, let's say on your deceased dad, and it's all, it's convincing you that I really am communicating. And then I say, oh, by the way, uh, Daniel, your dad is telling me he just liked that you painted your bedroom blue. Then I can accept it because you've already, you know, laid the, the groundwork. Also, there's a lot of mediums. And I asked this question on an application. I said, well, um, what do you think is more important, the evidence or the messages? And surprisingly, a lot of the mediums say it's the messages of love that are important, you know, and they think that if I'm giving you a reading and I say, uh, Daniel, I want to I need to tell you that your father loves you and he's proud of you. And, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's obviously going to be true in most cases. But is that really evidence? You know, but if I first lay the groundwork with all of the evidence, then the messages come. Uh, then it becomes significant, you know, and then answer to your question regarding the process, it's long. First of all, no money ever exchanges, you know, uh, hands. I mean, in anything that we do, including medium certification. So a medium can't pay us (laughs) to gain certification. They can't pay us to be listed on the site. The first step is they send us an email expressing their interest. We send them out, um, some pointed questions looking for any possible red flags. If, if there are none, we invite them to complete a, an eight page apl- extensive application. By the way, once we send out that application, one out of 10 comes back because when the medium sees um, what we're really hard work, about, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then it's not a matter of them sending us a fee and we're giving them a certificate, they they all right, they, they don't do it after the. After the um, application comes back, it's reviewed by a committee. If if the committee thinks that we should go further, um, an in-depth interview is arranged with the medium, which is about an hour, you know, interview. And if everything comes back, you know, and we think that this is the medium's the real deal, then we invite them to participate in a session. Uh, A session, they do a, a series of five different readings for five different 
sitters and sitters who were trained in scoring uh, procedures and, and how to how to act during the session. Uh, obviously, the as a sitter, you don't want to give the medium any um, information, but it's important to acknowledge, you know, when the medium is on the right track or when the medium is not, so they know that they have to move on. Because that, that's, that's, that's an important thing, isn't it? Because I think a lot of people, as we, again, we've alluded to multiple, multiple times, a lot of people that go to see mediums are in a very vulnerable position and they are desperate for answers. So they will, most of the time, give the answers to the medium they'll start talking and without realizing it they will have a fraudulent slip start saying stuff forget they've said it and then the medium just repeats it back to them and actually if you look at the session lengths actually the time the medium was talking versus the time the sitter was talking it's completely squiffed yeah exactly and and you know and then i understand it because you know i was i was in that position but so you know let's say i desperately want to hear from my daughter and the medium gives me a piece of information that's that, that's evidential you know, I might get so excited and I said, oh, yeah, you know, my daughter was uh, in high school and she wanted to be an English teacher and she loved to play soccer. And like, no, you, you want the medium to tell you that. You don't <laughs> want to tell that to the medium. Where I've seen sitters go to readings wearing a locket with a photo of their deceased loved one around their neck. You know, you, you want to wear the locket, fine, but keep it hidden. You know, you don't want to give, you know, cues to, to the medium. Uh, so. Yeah, that absolutely happens. And, and uh, on the other hand, I've seen sitters, they just sit there and the medium's giving them correct information and they don't acknowledge it, which is not fair to the medium. You know, so it, it's important. And also I've seen situations where um, the medium is going down the track where the rec sitter doesn't recognize anything. And then it's important to tell the medium, no, you know, my mom is not in spirit, you know, she's here. So the medium knows that they better move on or they're not going to, you know, you know, in a high score. You know? I've had it before, like just for my audience to know about this, I've only ever had one experience with this and it was a card reading. So again, just going to tell a bit of a story. I've never ever spoke about this on a podcast before. There's only a few people in my life that know about this. So I was in Dublin for a course and something in my life had just happened uh, and I was quite upset about it, like a relationship had ended um, and I was going to, to, to Dublin and I was walking around Dublin and I had no plan of where I was going to walk. I just knew that I wanted to go to these two coffee shops. That's all I wanted to do. I was walking around and it's a Christmas time and I decided I was going to go where the Christmas lights took me. So I was going to go and where the Christmas lights took me, I'd go and wander around. Uh, and anyway, I came across this store and I thought, oh, this looks really interesting. Um, so I went to walk down this store, uh, in, in this door, and then these two women came up from the basement, like the old London style houses where they had a basement. And I thought, oh. It's like a basement shop. I was like, amazing. So I walked down this basement shop, get to the bottom, and I see this sign for a medium. And I thought, oh, for fuck's sake. Like, genuinely, I was, I was really pissed off. I was like, what is this? And I thought, I can't go back up now. I'm like an idiot. So I walked in, I sit down, and this guy, this really camp guy comes out. And he's like, oh, you're here for a card reading. I was just like, if I have to. He says, oh, that's going to be 75 euros. And I was just like, I was, I was fuming. And he says, oh, do you mind if I have a cup of tea? And I says, yes. I'm not going to talk to you because I was fuming. And I was like, I'm not giving you anything. I was like, I, if, if you want to have a cup of tea, I'm not telling you anything. So I sat there in silence, had his tea. And he's like, right, I'm going to do this then. So, okay, so he takes me to this room. Da, da, da. He starts telling me these really vague things, pops these cards down. He starts telling me these really vague things about my life. They were true, but I was a bit like, because eh, again, I was clearly angry. You could probably tell I was single. So he's like, oh yeah, you've had this relationship breakup, blah, blah, blah. And I says, okay. I says, if you're really that good, tell me something about this relationship. There's one key bit of information. I was like, tell me something about this relationship that I, that, I mean, that only you would know if you were doing this thing. He whaps this card down and he went, Easter. And that was such a key thing, this Easter thing. I said, right, you've got me. 
I said, I said, I can't, I said, I can't explain how you know this bit of information because it, for Easter, Christmas, I was like, there's no way that you know this. I said, you've got me here. And I says to him, I said, how are you doing this towards the end? Because he allowed me to take notes. He allowed me to do this stuff. I said, how are you doing? He says, I honestly don't know. He says, I'm just here. And I just hear these voices. And all I'm doing is just passing this information on. He says, I don't know what I'm saying half the time. It just comes through me. So that's yeah. my only experience with this, just for my audience. And I've never said that. Sorry to go off on a tangent, but when we talk about this, I wanted my audience to know that I, I, I'm, I'm not one way or the other. I believe in life after death. I believe in energy and consciousness and blah, blah, blah. But when it comes to mediumship, I've only ever had that one experience. Yeah. Well, I don't know necessarily that that's, you know, mediumship what you experience, but it's, what was that? What was that? What was that then? What is that? That, that, that was um, a psychic a piece, you know, that was psychic information. Unless the, the, the person would have said to you, um, I have so-and-so here, you know, that somebody that, you know, in spirit, and then said, um, they're telling me to mention, you know, Easter to you, you know? Yep. Well, then, ah, yes. I get that. I get it. Yeah, yes. that would be me and Mystic. So they may have been pulling out information. You know, one of the uh, one of the arguments against mediumship that the skeptics will say is that mediums are not really communicating with the dead. They're pulling out information from a vast information field. You know, spiritual people might say it's called the Akashic Records. You know, uh, scientists may call it a zero point field. You know, but it's a the theory that. There are these fields of information where everything that ever happened and everything that will happen is stored there. So, I mean, I guess that's pretty extraordinary that a medium could, if that were true, you know, still still a, do it. Still, still amazing. Yeah, I mean, that would be even more amazing. I think the community out of like you know unlimited trillions and trillions of bits of information, you pull out that exact data. But I always think of it. Okay, let's let's assume they're right. So how does the, the um, if it's extracting data, how does the medium extract your personality, the loved one's personality? You know, I mean, that's not a piece of data. So I think, and that happens very often in, in a medium reading, the medium takes on the personality, sometimes even their, their exp- facial expressions and things that change. So I think it's it's more reasonable to assume that they are communicating with discarded entities than simply pulling out, you know, information. And, you know, I once took part in a research project where um, there was a scientist that was studying brainwaves of mediums because he wanted to see if there were specific areas in the brain that would show either, you know, lighting up or going dark while the medium was engaged in spirit communication. And I and I got a bunch of mediums together and and he was testing them. But then I, I mentioned I thought it would be a good idea to see if the brainwave patterns changed while they were engaged in psychic information, as opposed to communicating with the dead. Ah, okay, yeah. So he agreed. And then I had to figure out a way to do that. So the way I, I, I did it was that I, uh, there were these things called Zenner cards that JB Ryan, the Ryan Institute um, came up with. And it's just a series of geometric, they're cards with geometric shapes on it. Like one card might have a triangle one might have a circle and there's five different um, cards, and you kind of at random guess what card is coming up next. So you or I would have a 20% chance of guessing, with, you know, one out of five, you know, so of just spitting out things, we should hit it 20% at a time. And what I found, and, and believe me, the, the mediums that were taking part of this were um, – they were all certified by, by us, and they were extraordinary mediums. They were among the very best. But in terms of card guessing, you know, or psychic information, 
they were just, none of them really exceeded on one, only one exceeded that 20% that would be expected. Some were, were below that. So I concluded from that is that it doesn't necessarily mean that a, that a, a medium who's very gifted in communicating with discarnates is also very gifted in, in psychic information. You know, mm-hmm. So I would caution somebody that went, if the medium gave you psychic information and told you um, something about your future, I would caution people about changing their life based upon that prediction, mm. you know, because besides we all have free will. And, and even if there are this, this tree of life with all these different branches, you know, free will decisions that you make may, you may not go down the branch that the, that the psychic envisions, you know? Mm. So, you know, that's just one thing I would add about that. That's really, I'm really glad you pointed that out. Cause I said, obviously I, got confused in my head because I knew one of the questions Danny was about psychics and I knew the difference between psychic and medium so when I started talking about the card reading I'm really glad you corrected me there because you're completely correct obviously it's a psychic thing not a mediumship thing but again I'm glad we went down that bit of a rabbit hole to differentiate between the two because again I think a lot of people get confused between the two like I just did then uh, so again just to clarify mediums are people that um, communicate with people of deceased uh, psychics are like basically um, people that are in this realm let's call it um very, very interesting you mentioned as well about the the, the mediumship i want to sort of circle back about uh, the evidence-based of stuff i think there's a lot of really important information there that again we keep going back to it but people that are in a grieving state it's really easy for a medium to potentially say to people oh they're bringing you love they're safe they're this but again that's all like there's no as you said before it's really important there's no evidence to back that up it's just if someone's grieving like of course, they, they, you're telling them what they want to hear. They're not going to want to say, oh, yeah, by the way, your dad thinks you're a dick. Like, that's not going to help them. They, they, they want to hear. No, no, they want to hear. Like, oh, by the way, like, again, it's also like you said, all, all, let's say you came to someone for your daughter. All you wanted to hear was it wasn't your fault. And then straight away, bam, they've got you hooked. And then you create this narrative in your head. And then, so, so, how, so I wanted to do this because people can be so extremely vulnerable. How can people protect themselves? Because again, this woman says, so you've got the sitter. So the sitter is the person that's going to see the medium. So my first question is, how can people actually protect themselves when they go and see one? So we've covered a little bit on it about not giving too much information, but is there anything else that people can do to protect themselves so they don't end up down this rabbit hole of essentially being lied to? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, the, the first thing, obviously, is selecting a medium. So, you know, if, if we're making the assumption that 85% of them really can't do what they do, that, uh, that that's, a you know, what they claim, that's a problem. You know, how do you find the 10, 15%? We in Forever Family Foundation certify mediums, but obviously we have, since 2005, we only have about 25 mediums that we've certified. So it's not a very big pool. And, and besides, most of the mediums that we've certified over the years have gone on to be uh, rich and famous and very popular, and they have ridiculously long, um, you know, waiting lists, and they charge ridiculous amounts of money. Um, so, so that's one thing that I'm working on to try to identify new mediums. But after that, I mean, you mentioned you, you give the medium as, as little uh, information as possible. Uh, the next thing, I mean, which we also mentioned, is is you want to. Uh, during the reading, um, you don't want to feed the medium. You don't want to give them more information other than what you know the medium asks you. It's also important to remain open because I may want to hear from my deceased daughter, and so I have blinders on, and I'm not acknowledging or recognizing, you know, in you know my my grandfather or my dad or my mom or somebody else that's coming through. I mean, if spirit 
sees a conduit by which they can communicate, they're going to jump into it. So I've seen that people are blinded by their grief and they're getting incredible evidence, uh, but it's not the person that they were focused on, you know, so they won't, um, they won't acknowledge it or recognize it. Um, I think it's very, very important for you to record the reading, you know, bring a tape recorder with you. If the medium says to you, you can't, I think that's a red flag. A lot of them will say, well, you ask why. Well, it, you know, because the, you know, electronics never work, you know, and that's just bullshit. You know, they they, they don't want a record of a bad reading possibly. Yeah. Um, and if a recording, if you don't have a, a recording device, you know, now you can do it on your phone, uh, take, take notes as the reading is going on. And the value of that is, first of all, during the reading, I see time and time again, what the medium says to you is not what you think they said to you. Mm-hmm. You know, when you play it back, you say, oh, my God, the me- I thought the medium said this and it didn't. Or, well, you might see, you know, hear something that the medium said that it didn't register at the time. Uh, there's value to that. There's also value to it if you got a really strong reading when you're feeling bad, you know, and you're getting a bit depressed or missing your loved one, pay back, play back that recording. So wait a second, that's definitely, you know, my loved one. So it's a, it's a tool for grieving uh, the same way, you know, with notes. There's another thing that we haven't mentioned. Um, there's a thing called the electronic voice phenomena. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that is, don't ask me how it happens, but discarded entities can imprint a voice onto a recording device. It's been studied for, you know, 60, 70 years now. And it used to be the, the real to real big, you know, actual tapes that were running. Uh, now it's any uh, digital device. And you simply uh, set out your intention to your deceased loved one. Um, uh, and you turn on the recorder for maybe 20 or 30 seconds. You'll never hear it live while it's being recorded. I don't know why that is, but on playback, sometimes you'll you'll hear a voice. Um, and I don't want to give the impression it's going to happen every time. Sometimes people experiment with it for a year and it doesn't happen um, or then it starts happening. And also it appears that some people are better at capturing these things than others. Um, I'll give you an example. There's, there's a medium that's certified by our foundation. Her name is Janet Mayer. And unrelated to mediumship, she's been experimenting with electronic voice phenomena for like 10 years. And she was friendly with my wife, Fran. And after Fran passed, she asked me if it would be okay if every week she would she would make up seven questions to ask my wife, you know, Fran in spirit. And then she'd turn on the recorder and she would send me the the uh, the audio audio files. One time she said, friend, what is the name of the organization that you founded? And you hear faintly, but clearly forever family foundation. That's pretty incredible. You know, another day, um, it was last year, this month. And she said, uh, friend, you have a message for Bob. You know, it happened to be my birthday on that day. And you hear on the recording, happy birthday. So, you know, that's something electronic voice phenomena is is fantastic in the respect that it's physical evidence. It's something that I could hear with my own physical ears. You know, it's like and you can. You, they talk about it in the Netflix documentary as well, isn't? There's a lady there. Yeah. I'm not sure it's the lady you're talking about, but it, it talks about it there, and it's really interesting because you're sort of seeing it. And I think it's one of the biggest things with this. Like, there's a lot of people that can listen to this podcast, and they're going to be thinking, "I don't believe in any of this stuff." Uh, and again, it's one of the things where I think until you, as you said before, you go through the stages of uh, the the 
just being open to it, open to the possibility of it, and then trying some of this stuff out that you'll then go about hearing it. Because again, in this Netflix documentary, again, I'm very aware that Netflix documentaries that they can change things to do whatever they wanted to do. But it's just very bizarre to me how some of this stuff, as you said, like there's actual scientific evidence to back this up. Like, and that's the thing that yeah. for me, I find, I, I find that's the bizarre thing. When you tell other people, it's like, well, what do you mean by that? So can you talk to me about some of this actual scientific stuff that backs this up? Because I, I don't think people will believe that there is scientific evidence for it. Yeah, well, most people, and, and a lot of people in the, a lot of uh, scientists and, and, and medical uh, doctors um, uh, refuse to acknowledge the evidence, even when you bring it up to them. But I mean, the areas of research from near-death experiences have been studied now for, for decades, you know, as a... Uh, we're able to resuscitate more people that, that die, especially in a hospital setting. And when they come back, they describe um, certain things that should be impossible. I mean, they, they meet every definition of death. They have no brain waves. They have no respiration. They have no heartbeat. They have no reflexes. For all intents and purposes, you know, they're dead. That's what medical science, how they define death. And yet, they describe these incredible things. I mean, not every near-death experience experiences the same thing, but there are certain commonalities, like go, you know, moving through a dark place like a tunnel and going to a light, being met by deceased loved ones and having conversations with them, um, being above their body um, and, and seeing from a different vantage point. You know, let's say to, you know on the ceiling and seeing and hearing everything that's going on, um, uh, having. Uh, clear and lucid thinking, which they have knowledge that they, you know, they didn't have before. It's like unlimited knowledge. Uh, they describe the setting, you know, of being, um, you know, where uh, they could taste colors, you know, like synesthesia, all the senses, you know, were uh, intensified and happening all at once. So uh, all of these things, uh, and it's, you know, it's something that the scientists have been studying for quite some time. The evidence is overwhelming, and, and it's really one of the best forms of of uh, evidence that we have that we're more than our, than our physical bodies. Um, mm. You know, there are these um, end of life experiences or deathbed visions. I've experienced that with my own family. You know, several times that people that are in that window, either just before death or one or two weeks before, start having conversations with other people and you know that that are in the room that most of the time the people that are in you know the visitors can't see them but they do and they're they reach out to them and they're smiling and you know despite being in um uh, being physically incapacitated or mentally impaired you know they still have these experiences uh and the implication is that we all have some assistance you know when we cross over i mean i, I i'll tell you a, a quick story that's somewhat humorous when, when my mother was near death, we were sitting in a, she was in home hospice and she was sitting in a recliner chair in the living room. And we had a semicircle of, of chairs facing her, but the chair directly in front of her was empty, you know? And then all of a sudden my mother, even though she was, you know, semi-coherent, all of a sudden she would reach out directly in front of her to the chair and start talking to her mother, you know, and smiling. And you could just see that glow in her, uh, you know, mom, mom. And then my father happened to walk into the room. He was in a different room. He was in the kitchen. And he saw that empty chair and he sat down in that chair. 
And my mother went ballistic, get up, get up. You know, my poor father didn't realize that he sat on his mother-in-law, you know, <laughs> you know, and he was bewildered, you know, and I've experienced it with my wife and talking to her mom and aunt and so forth. So these are things that, you know, have been studied. I mean, reincarnation, uh, incidentally, you'll see a lot of these things covered in the Netflix uh, documentary. And the first episode, I think, was on NDEs and the yep. last one on reincarnation, uh, Scientists have been studied, uh, studying past life memories of children for the last 50 years with, you know, thousands upon thousands of cases. And that evidence is very compelling. Um, so th- there are a lot of things. It's easy to dismiss any one of these things, such as mediumship or near-death experiences. And you can make all these arguments, although I can refute, you know, most of them. Uh, uh, but when you step back and you take you examine all of it, you know, um, and you take it as a whole, the thing that makes the most sense is that, you know, we're more than our physical bodies and we survive a physical death. And, you know, there's, there's some value in all this. People say, well, why should I even care? You know, I mean, and, and I, you know, I was thinking about this this morning is that this week I'm reaching another one of those milestone uh, birthdays. And I, as I reflect back on my life, I remember that, these, you know, birthdays with a zero attached to them, they, I always used to get depressed. You know, I, I always used to have a bad feeling from them. I didn't enjoy them at all. And the reason for that is that I had a great fear of my own mortality. You know, the thought of being extinguished forever was extremely frightening to me, you know, inconceivable. Um, and now, you know, as I reach another one of these things, I I have absolutely zero fear, you know, as a matter of fact, like I embrace it, you know, and, and, and the value I think for all of us is if we believe um, that we survive our physical deaths and we're more than our physical bodies and we can remove that fear and all these phobias that we have, we could li- live our lives, our physical lives with more meaning and purpose because the fear is gone and we just take it as it comes and, 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 and enjoy. Mm. So I think there's a value to all this, you know, uh, from an emotional and health perspective. And I could be, so the, the book that changed it all for me was a book uh, by Tichney Han, the monk called fear. Um, basically his whole thing is that if you agree with science, the energy cannot be destroyed. And if you also agree with science that we are more energy than anything else, then what happens to us after we die? Like we cannot die. The energy has to go somewhere. So again, right. if you then believe in this eternal energy, which again, I do this, this, this whole thing that goes around us, like the, the, this energy, energetic field, like, so then you've got to go back to something. So that's, that's my whole thing. And ever since I read that, I was like, oh yeah, energy can't be destroyed. We are more energy than anything else. Like, so we just literally transfer the energy onto something else. So I think it's a, right. a fascinating concept of it. Um, again, I spoke to you before we started about this, but could I just ask you, um, since since your wife's passing um how have you handled this compared to your daughter because obviously you're a lot further along your journey now you've experienced all this stuff with mediumship and the acceptance of um life after death how have you handled it obviously i know grief is still grief you spoke about this and i'm not saying for a single second it's been a joyous thing i'm not saying that for a second but how have you dealt with it differently compared to your daughter um you know what, uh, when you lose somebody, you know, close to you like that, it sucks no matter what you believe in, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, with all I know, and, you know, I so even with my wife's passing, I mean, we were one and the same, you know, we, you know 46 years together. Um, it's still hard, you know, it, it's very hard, you know, it's, it's people say, you know, and it's kind of silly when they ask the comparison between the two. I mean, 
my, my, I just wanted to die when I, when my daughter, you know, died, you know, now I don't have the same, you know, wish, but it's just, uh, the memories are, are that much uh, stronger and it's a challenge every day, you know, but, you know, I'm better able to, to keep going. Um, you know, I don't wish that I was dead. Like I did after, after my daughter, uh, because I have this knowledge that not only, does she survive in some form, but that uh, the likelihood is that I'm going to see her again. You know, mm-hmm. this is just a, uh, if I think of physical existence as, as a little blip in a continuum of, 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 of life. I mean, there's a lot of people say that this is the, really the dream world yeah. you know, where we're going is, you know, is the real, yeah. you know, yeah. you know, and then a lot of people say that we can't really get, cause I always question. I said, look, if there are these other realms and we continue to evolve and become more enlightened and grow, you know, what the hell do we need the physical world for? You know, why can't we just do all the growth on the other side? And the explanation I usually hear is that this physical slice of, of, of life is the most beneficial in, in, in learning that we can't get the same learning experiences as we can, you know, when we're, when we reach beyond the physical, I don't know whether that's true or not, but uh, you know, the other the other thing that I never could reconcile in my mind is that if reincarnation is real, why the hell would somebody choose to come back to this physical life and live a life of poverty or hunger or sickness or, you know, or, or you know, or bullying or, you know, or rejection? And it, you can't explain it in physical terms. But if you believe that we're all fragments of, of a greater oversoul, let's call it, and we're all part of that one um, that one conglomerate, then maybe we recognize that um, with that perspective that this is one piece of the puzzle that that, that we need to experience. You know, I, I'll accept that because otherwise nothing makes sense to me. Mm. And I really like how you said that. It's um, that's that's something for me. I think I'm gonna. I said this to you before. Uh, I think it was off air about the, uh, the grief thing. Like that's something I would want to go back and listen and sort of take from that because. Hearing you talk about it, it's like I said, it's never going to be an easy thing. But I think a lot of people, um, when they're going through grief, like they, they, it paralyzes them so much where they don't want to carry on, as you said. But since this obviously takes over, it's like, no, no, just keep going, just keep going. So, on that note, with this, what bit of advice would you give to somebody that is actually struggling with grief right now? that does feel lost, that does feel stuck, that maybe doesn't know where to turn. Do you have a bit of advice that you would give to anyone that's in that situation? Well, the first thing is, I mean, there is a such thing as bibliotherapy. I mean, I used to feel better while I was reading about this stuff, you know, because it gave me some hope, you know. Um, so I would encourage people, uh, and we have lists of recommended books on our website of, you know, on foreverfamilyfoundation.org. And, and by category, you know, pick one out and just keep reading. I mean, I literally, if you walked in my house today, you'd see 1500 books on, on the afterlife. It's insane. But I just kept reading and reading and reading. Um, the other thing is, it's been proven in clinical studies published in peer reviewed journals that those who believe uh, in an afterlife do better in their grief than those that don't. And it, that makes sense to me. I mean, what could, could give you more hope than the belief that your loved one still exists and you'll see them again. So that, that makes perfect sense. Um, we always stress that it shouldn't just be blind faith. I mean, you should seek out the, you know, the evidence for that or try to force some personal experience. So I think 
learning, you know, there's a thing, cognitive behavior therapy, we can change the way we think. So we can change the way we think about death. So if you could reach that point, um, you will, you will do better. And, and, and that is only two ways to get there. One from learning, you know, about the evidence and the other is from having a profound experience, you know, and, and that's the way you can get there. But if, if you think of it like coping mechanisms, I used to use, you know, I don't know how, if it would, people can relate to it, but I used to think that, you know, we're all on this train ride and we're all going to die. You know, it wasn't that I'm never going to die. Even if my daughter, we're all done. It's just a matter of time. So some of us get off at the first stop and some of us get off, you know, at a later stop, but we all get off, you know? And so, um, that in some weird way, I found comforting that it wasn't something that only happened to her. It's going to happen to me and everybody else that ever existed and, and ever will. That's just the way it is. Um, so, you know, we all find our ways in grief. Grief is um, every it's different. I mean, lots of times, um, uh, you know, even within the same family, you know, partners grieve, you know, totally different. You know, there's no right or wrong way. Uh, and people don't know how to you know, you know, they don't know what to say among people in grief, you know, uh, very often. And they'll say some things that seem like pretty stupid, you know, but I remember after my daughter died, I had a friend of mine come over and she just looked at me and she saw the shape I was in. She said, I don't know how you do it. If it was me, I would have killed myself. So, so now I'm supposed to feel guilty about not killing myself. I don't have enough shit to do. You know, so it's like it, I, she meant well, you know, she was trying to express her, her feelings. But, you know, you have to the best thing you could do when somebody's in grief, honestly, give them a hug. I mean, maybe we shouldn't be now. It's different than the pandemic age, but that's the only thing that's meaningful, I, you know. Yeah, I get it. I'm sorry. Here's a hug. Yeah. Virtually not much else that you're going to say is going to be of much value. <laughs> no. Yeah. And again, probably not in the headspace to hear it anyway. Even if you came up with the most profound answer, they're not going to be in the headspace to hear it anyway. Um, honestly, Bob, this has been a, a, an incredible conversation. I've really thoroughly enjoyed this. Uh, like I said, we've gone down some rabbit holes I wanted to go down. And again, I just wanted to be, uh, say thank you again for being so open and honest about just sharing some of your personal stuff as well. Like, again, I really appreciate that. And I know my audience will as well. Um, where can people find out more information about you? Because you do have a book as well. So where can people find out about your book? And where can people find out more about your um, foundation? All right. Well, the foundation is, you know, spelled out foreverfamilyfoundation.org. Um, it has a wealth of information about there, about all the things we've been talking about. Uh, and we also have a radio show that we've been airing every Thursday since 2005. So maybe you read a book and you want to learn more about that person. The chances are we've interviewed them over the years. So you could go into the archives and play it back. Uh, we hold grief retreats like the one depicted in the Netflix series, uh, I write a blog um, on beyondthefivesenses.com and the book is called The Medium Explosion and that's available, you know, on Amazon and, or, and wherever. So uh, anybody needs to communicate with me, my email is robert at foreverfamilyfoundation.org. Honestly, this has been an absolute pleasure and I'll say thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. It was my pleasure, Daniel.